0: Welcome, you're listening to The Pulse, a Merge podcast series that inspires clinical thought leaders to share best practices on their pursuit to delivering standards of care. Here's Todd
1: Butka, founder and CEO of Merge. Today we're speaking with Dr. Zaid Eldada, Director of Cardiac Electrophysiology at MedStar Heart and Vascular Institute. Zaid is passionate about improving existing technology to develop new ways of understanding and curing heart rhythm problems. In his current role, Zayn leads clinical, teaching, research, and administrative teams to ensure the highest quality of care is provided. Dr. O'Data, thank you for being here and doing this uh, with us today. We're thrilled you could take the time out of your day to be here. A uh, first question, and this just goes to the priorities and in, in, in your initiatives at MedStar. They're known for innovation and research. Can you share with us? Your mandate, or how the corporate priorities influence your priorities uh, and your team in, in this pursuit of innovation—you know what what drives you to say, "All right, this is something we've got to go look at to change and innovate and and improve."
0: Sure, of course. Well, I think the one of the nice things about our health system is that it doesn't operate on really strict, rigid mandates. There's an overall goal to be the best we can be to as many people as we can reach in our widely dispersed communities in the Washington, Baltimore, greater metropolitan areas. And that's just the theme of the health system. The nice thing is that on the cardiac electrophysiology side, we have spent the past 10 years operating in what we believe to be a very nice team-spirited way to achieve that mission in our own flavor, in our own way, with really no rigidity applied to us. So, as an example, and Just to give you a sense, in 2008, our cardiac electrophysiology program consisted of three cardiac electrophysiology physicians, two advanced practice providers based in one hospital, which was MedStar Washington Hospital Center, really the flagship hospital of our 10 hospital health system. And in the years that followed, today we find ourselves 19 cardiac electrophysiologist program with 26 advanced practice providers. And we actively cover seven of the 10 MedStar hospitals. The other three don't really have a reason to have electrophysiology coverage. But more importantly, in addition to those seven MedStar hospitals, we have a physical presence where we round, see patients, even do procedures. Actually, it's 17 other non-MedStar hospitals all dispersed throughout the region and were supplemented by the um, presence of 24 brick and mortar clinical sites or ambulatory sites where we see outpatients. So the model that has developed, not because of any mandate or even any great foresight on our part, but almost a happenstance one step at a time process was to try to reach as many people as we could, bring the best possible talent we could under one umbrella ensure that our associates feel a common sense of purpose regardless of their role. So we do our best to strip away any sense of hierarchy or role um, superiority of one versus the other. We kind of operate under the mantra of there's no hierarchy of commitment to patient care. We're all aligned by our same mission. So our nurses, advanced practice providers, technologists, physicians, environmental services staff, administrative staff, et cetera. And even our colleagues in industry are all teammates. And we try to treat everybody as such so that we can really harness everybody's talent in an aligned way to achieve our goal of reaching people, taking care of them, and giving them the best possible care. And the model that has emerged is one where we see patients in far flung sites all over the region are actually coverage geography from end to end is over 150 miles at its extreme um, limits. And we do our best to keep simple procedures and outpatient follow-ups very close to home for our patients in their distant suburbs, whether in distant suburbs of Virginia, the inner cities of Baltimore, or Washington, the eastern shore of Maryland, etc. But the complex work that requires high-tech services and high-intensity support, such as cardiac surgery rescue support, is preferentially concentrated in our two major hospitals, MedStar Washington Hospital Center and Washington, DC and MedStar Union Memorial Hospital in Baltimore. So that model seems to work quite nicely. The patients appreciate that we're willing as doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners to get in our cars and drive to be with them so they don't have to make long drives into often unfamiliar cities. And we're pleased because our volume has grown dramatically. Our sustainability seems solid and our sense of purpose and mission are very intact and strengthened with each day that we do this.
1: That's pretty. So, did you say it was 2018? 2008. Then, I'm sorry, 2008. So, it was. But that's 10. either way. I couldn't, I was uh, off by 10. But so in 2008, you had three EPs, and now you're up to 22. We're 19 and, and growing... EP physicians.
0: So, three to 19 physicians. Wow. Two advanced practice providers to 26 advanced practice providers. So, you can see wow. we have more advanced practice providers than. Physicians, and that's been really special for us. We really consider our advanced practice providers truly the vertebral column, the backbone of our program. Their absence would be like a body made out of cartilage, and, 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 like
1: jellyfish. <laughs> so for for and, and most people are clinical. Um, uh, I'm on the I'm on. I come at this from the business side of trying to understand how how change happens, how organizations make these investments and organize their people. And actually, what's interesting is how you describe what you're doing is very philosophical it it very much sounds like you definitely know the mission of the organization and it's it's neat to hear and just in terms of we're going to reach as many people as we can we're going to have a common sense of purpose we're going to go to the patient not make them come to us it's it's a very neat philosophical approach to this how now how did going from by my count almost you know four five people to 40 people or more and going from a few facilities to, as you said, 24 clinical sites, 17 non-MedStar hospitals, in addition to the seven hospitals you have, I presume there's a demand there. There were people calling you saying, please come here. Please help us. Why did they call? Why, why do you think they they want you, they want your team to help them provide the best care?
0: No, that's that's a nice question. I think, again, it's hard to know exactly with great precision, every uh, example or every territory and its specific uh, sequence of events. But I think in broad strokes, what we've experienced is that our fundamental growth driver has been our relationships in the community. That includes relationships with physicians who refer to us. And those relationships are based on a very simple principle that we're here to do cardiac electrophysiology only, that your patient, you the specialist or the generalist, your patient is safe with us because we only want to do our scope and nothing else. And the, the idea uh, beyond that is that when we can do the very best specialty work in a way that inspires confidence and trust in our referring physicians, those relationships stay solid and grow. And as we often tell our, our practitioners, whether they're uh, a clinical or our support staff, our mission is one that's built one patient at a time. We don't go in and and have a master plan for what we wanna do. We just want to focus on the basics, treat every patient like a family member, do the very best we can at all levels, whether it's a support person answering the telephone, a physician delivering care via a catheter or device, an advanced practice provider, seeing a patient in clinic, et cetera. So I think the combination of that one patient at a time, one relationship at a time, um, the philosophy is the way that we've been able to grow incrementally, so that it's a journey that's built with lots of small steps.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's a neat. That's a that's a great way of looking at it. So it's a it's the long game, but you're building this by relationships and trust, and that that's that's it takes a long time to build that. As as you said, it's not a strategy driven model in terms of okay, we want to have we want to acquire these two hospitals or get into these two hospitals. It's more. Let's build a relationship, build the trust, and, and, and the, the, the need will come and we'll, we'll serve that need. That's pretty neat. So talking about cardiac devices and, and the management of those, you all are undergoing a cycle of innovation. And what are the factors that convinced you it was time to do something different? It was time to look for, for change and or technology just a different way uh, and, and convince you there had to be a better way.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, one of the pleasures of doing cardiac electrophysiology or building a career out of um, cardiac electrophysiology is that you're so intimately tied to technology and the promise and power of technology is really what enables us to do better for our patients. So every day that there's a new innovation in our specialty, which is so hyper-driven by technology is a better day for patients, a more exciting day for us, a greater capacity to heal and prolong life and improve life. So those are big picture items on the specific side. When I'll, clinical practice is large and patient volume is large and expansive, and the referral base is significant, that gives the opportunity to see a very diverse range of pathologies. So a lot of the questions that arise in the natural history of cardiac electrophysiology conditions, for instance, whether they're arrhythmias or otherwise, are able to be addressed And by new questions that help drive the technology forward and for a practice like ours what that means is that our relationships with industry again one of these important relationships that are built on trust and uh, and and mutual uh, mission alignment. enables us to be at the forefront or on the short list for clinical trials for novel technologies and also to help develop those technologies in conjunction with our industry partners. So innovation on the technology side is driven by the need that we see from a large clinical practice that's growing, the actual human need. We refer everything back to the human patient. So that gives us a really nice perspective on where we think the technology should go, what kinds of questions, what kinds of challenges need to be answered. So we... uh, continually try to work with our industry colleagues to be on the short list of their clinical sites for novel technologies, for beta testing, for technology and product development. And there are other elements of innovation too that um, have occurred on our end when we have simply encountered challenges that needed to be overcome. A couple simple examples are where to put patients because your volume is increased. So we started off with an EP laboratory that was this very old, tiny facility We were processing at 1.20 electrophysiology cases a day, but our pre and post procedure holding area was only three bays in size, (laughs) three basically hospital gurneys separated by two curtains. I mean, it it looked like something out of a mash unit, but a really tiny mash unit. that wasn't even enough to to handle a a morning's cases, let alone an entire day's cases. And so that drove a need to expand and build. And in a major hospital that's an urban teaching center, it's a zero sum game. So if you expand one square inch, some other service, some other um, practitioner or colleague has to exceed or seed that square inch. And you know you can imagine what happens when you're trying to add 5,000 <laughs> exactly. square feet. It's a, it's a lot of upheaval. So we have to manage a lot of things. We, God knows we made tons of mistakes along the way. But some of the themes that came out of this were that if you always focus on what's in the best interest of your patient, that generally helps everything else work out. So the politics can work out, the money works out, the, the consternation that various sides might have will work out, displacements can work out. So keep focused on the patient's best interest and try to make that always front and center and be as efic- efficient and effective as possible. And another lesson that we've learned is that at least in our system, if you hear the word no, you have to interpret that as yes, but with a very thick accent. So just don't take no for an answer, basically. Because <laughs> of course the reflexive answer is always no. Anything that requires effort or resources is gonna instinctively, reflexively yield a no. So I have to make sure not to give in to the no's. Otherwise, growth <laughs> is impossible. <laughs>
1: I I love I love that. Uh you know, I had we 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 talked to a um, an EP at a teaching university a few years ago and they said, um, "They said I'm too old. I'm too old to take on the challenge of change around here. It's too hard here." And it was, it was kind of sad because it was a, a very name brand organization, but it was along the lines of either hey, someone who's the senior statesman EP, and and they made this decision um, to stick with X technology, and and I, I I don't have the energy to fight it. And this, and he just said, "This organization isn't isn't ready for change." Is it you or is it your organization? I love this sense of hey, everyone says no at first, but it's a yes with an accent. W- what is it that needs to happen for an organization to get to yes? I mean, some organizations never get there, but you know, when you say hey, I, I, here's some technology, here's some innovation, it's change, right? So the first answer is no, we can't afford that, or we shouldn't do that, or whatever it might be. How do you get them to yes?
0: Uh, it's a good question, and again, it's hard to know. You know What works in one environment or in one particular setting, how applicable that might be elsewhere, but a few nice features of our health system that I'd like to cite are that we don't have a very thick bureaucracy, and I don't think that's by design, I think that's by necessity, because when you're in a nonprofit health system that's largely in urban environments, operating on relatively thin margins, there's not a lot of resource to support hugely thick, complex, convoluted bureaucracies. So the number of individuals who are uh, involved in the management is a relatively um, finite one. And again, going back to the relationship piece, building those relationships based on trust, the patient's best interest, and, and and trying to do your best to build a track record of triumphs that are based on the right things all the things that we talked about before, and then most importantly, trying to build a cohesive team. So what I like to share with my colleagues all the time is that, at least in my humble opinion, our greatest asset isn't our collective talent or our educations or degrees or even experience or um, even for that matter, um, ability to do what we do our relationships with industry, etc. Our greatest talent is our cohesion as a team. Because if we're a cohesive team aligned around a single mission, which is a very honorable one that can be um, unassailable, the best interest of our patients, and we depend on each other, trust one another, we kind of can be an unstoppable force, especially if we're trying to do the right thing. So Not that we wanna be bulldozers, bulldozing over any naysayers or sources of objection, but we wanna be very effective advocates for our mission, for our patients. And again, we're able to bring a lot of resources to bear that are not just internal, but external. So a significant proportion of our expenses are met by outside philanthropy, which again can be built by good clinical care, a cohesive team providing a good patient experience, that mm-hmm. results in a grateful patient or family, et cetera. So it's kind of simple principles, I think, that end up yielding wonderful dividends in the long term.
1: Well, that's, a, that's a very, very interesting approach the organization's taking. I like how you said maybe not by, on purpose, but by being a not-for-profit, yeah. we can't have a big uh, management overhang. And that, that maybe that makes it a little bit easier to make these, some of these decisions to, to, to change.
0: I think so. You know, it's a double edged sword because a a thin or narrow margin organization also doesn't have lots of cash to throw around on entrepreneurial ventures. So you have to be everybody has to be very judicious. And really, sometimes I feel feel that our health system lives paycheck to paycheck, but that's okay, because it does force a a fiscal discipline, you know, it forces us all to think twice, to be like the ultimate carpenters, not just measure twice and cut once, but measure 200 (laughs) times and then cut once so that you're not wasting your wood. Um, But, you know, again, after you've uh, been able to, as a team, break that first hurdle. So for us, I think the transformational change was a a merger that we did with a um, large electrophysiology practice in another geography that was considered very Um, bold at the time, and there were a lot of naysayers in the system who thought that it wouldn't work, but we had a different perspective because we're much closer to the field down on the ground, and we really felt that the underpinnings were solid, and it ended up working very, very nicely for everybody involved, the physicians, the practice, the hospital system, and most of all the patients in the region, so once a large triumph like that happens, it makes the subsequent challenges a little bit easier, the hurdles become a little bit lower, uh, easier to overcome. So I guess my, if I could, if I'm in any position to share any experience with the gentleman or individual who felt basically that they wanted to give up, um, it's not to give up, because if you have your on what you think is best for your patients and community don't give up because sometimes it's just like an individual electrophysiology procedure if you give up too early you're not going to be able to deliver the therapy but that perseverance working harder asking for help getting advice not feeling like you know all the answers ever um, is probably the difference between the yes and the no or the success or
1: the failure that's a, that's a really neat perspective. Uh, just just the sense of perseverance and and just keep at it to get what you know is right for the patient. So you're busy. You've got patients to see. You know what are the things that you use to qualify? Hey, should I take a call? Should I should I spend the time with these different vendors that might knock on the door?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question. I don't know that I'm I'm, I'm qualified to give any advice on that front, but I can just share personal experience. And that's that I think it's always valuable to listen to everybody. You know, one of the things that I think um, should guide us is that no individual has a monopoly on knowledge, wisdom, experience. and, And we're a lot better if we listen to everybody and consider that everybody who calls us or walks through our door as being motivated by the right thing, whether they are or not, can sometimes be borne out, but give them the benefit of the doubt to start with. Everybody who calls you is trying to do a job, trying to achieve a mission. In industry, the mission does involve profit, does involve um, market share increase, etc, etc. And that's okay, because you can align with that mission as a caregiver, as a healthcare provider, by looking at your colleague in industry as a caregiver, as a healthcare provider, but who has a certain set of goals that need to be met to keep that caregiving going. If there weren't profit in industry, if there weren't market share considerations, the technology wouldn't move forward. Our ability to do things wouldn't move forward. ICDs would still be like big packs of cigarettes implanted in the belly. There'd be no, no innovation, <laughs> et cetera. Catheters probably wouldn't have been designed to improve. So we'll right, it. there has to be a happy marriage between the different needs of our constituencies, and our colleagues. So I guess the simple experience that I've had is try to give everybody your time, not to the um, detriment of everything else, but a respectful listen. But one has to be selective with time, because if you disperse your time with everything that comes your way, it may be very difficult to make forward progress anywhere. So and that comes with experience and time. You know, people may need to delegate certain meetings or or engagements to to others, or in some cases, just respectfully decline. But I think at the outset, there should be just an open armed, open door, open minded stance to anybody who contacts a physician or practitioner.
1: Well, it's a neat perspective. It's it's um, well, and we're you know we're glad you you listened to us at at, at some point uh, in in the past here to to look at at different innovation in device care. So you're looking at modernizing device care. Are there anecdotal stories of the good and the bad, the, you know, what prompted you to be like, okay, I'm done with this process. We need to get something better. Or you've seen a better process. You trialed our product, for example. Are there anecdotes of aha moments of that was really cool. Look what we did for this patient. Or my staff said this to me, or someone came down the hall and said, Hey, did you realize X, Y, and Z just occurred? I always find it is those those learning moments that people don't remember the big you know nine month strategy, but they remember that one day where someone said one thing. Any stories pop to mind that you're especially proud of, or you remember distinctly as either driving that innovation or, or or demonstrating that that was a good choice we made or or a good initiative we we undertook. Um, I'll try to think of something
0: specific, but in in broad strokes, I think there've been a lot of those kinds of situations, and every time something like that happens prepares us to be even more open-minded and receptive and dissatisfied with the status quo the next time around and, and be hungry for, for better ways of skinning the cat, better ways of doing what we do. I think the the fundamental philosophy that that we try to have in our specialty, because it's, again, so technology-driven and because we're so fortunate to have such close, intimate relationships with our industry partners, you know, like Um, There are other specialties for whom the industry rep just drops off the goods and walks away, never to be seen again. But in cardiac electrophysiology, the industry representatives are often caregivers that are even more intensely involved in patient care, arguably, than the physician or nurse practitioner because they're there at the time of the device implant, for instance, at the time of the device follow-up in the hospital before discharge, in the clinics afterward. And what's very rewarding to me when you talk about an aha moment is when patients identify with their device representative, for instance, their industry representative as a caregiver, as a friend, as somebody that's reliable, that's invested in their well-being. Because for me, I find that a source of great pride and satisfaction that my colleague in industry is helping me deliver better care, helping my team deliver better care. And it really reinforces this mission of common purpose, the fact that we're all caregivers, that there's no I in team kind of thing. And it's a very useful force multiplier for us. So that's on the industry side in general. And that leads to all the innovation that can follow. So that, for instance, when new technologies come available, we often want to be first in line to to be able to trial them, to help publish their uh, results in, in early, for instance, and um, investigational uh, device exemption trials uh, and early clinical trials and post-market trials, et cetera, to really demonstrate to industry that we're good partners and able to deliver care and make their products see the light of day and shine and succeed for the benefit of our patients. And that's kind of the, the general approach. In terms of our merge experience, we looked at a number of platforms, because we realized that what we were doing was truly worse than rotary phones. It was (laughs) communicating with those Alexander Graham Bell, like paper cups connected by string approach to managing (laughs) devices. And we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, but we were too busy to know otherwise. So when it became clear that we had to adopt a new platform, and we started looking at a few options Merge really shined very brightly for us. And we also had the added advantage of a very trusted, uh, seasoned, experienced representative from Merge with whom we enjoy an excellent long-term relationship, again, built on all those positive attributes of trust, commitment to patients, etc. So it became a really nice story that the technology was excellent. The representation was excellent, the opportunity to work in a very... Um, agreeable way that made everybody feel comfortable was excellent. And so we're very, we're very, very happy with what happened. And we're really excited for this opportunity to do much better work for our patients, have much more efficient utilization of our human resources.
1: Um, and again, be better than we were the day before. It's a neat way to 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 put it better than you were the day the day before. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I now see why Larry and Todd speak so highly of of you and your perspective it's it's very refreshing and but but i think they're it's, just very nice and generous they've fallen under your spell they, but but you know it's it is um that tiebreaker breaker of well, what's in the best interest of the patient it sounds so it sounds so easy but i think it, it really it's it's not always that easy i think it's um it's hard for folks in the industry it's hard for organizations um you know at an organizational level they can lose sight of that you know the 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 EHR IT team that's ten steps removed, the financial team that's eight steps removed. Um, I think sometimes it's hard for for folks to say, hey, what what's what's in the best interest of the patient. So I I applaud you all, and and I, it sounds easy, and it is easy to say, it's hard to do. Um and and I and you as you said, hey, maybe we're just lucky. Maybe we're lucky we don't have that big bureaucracy that we actually can do that, and we can through sometimes the um, the layers that that impede good decision making or good innovation or, or or whatever changes need to be made to to influence patient care. So I, I I'll, I'll give you a, um, uh, some applause on that because we we don't always hear it or or an organization isn't set up to deliver it. So it's it's really wonderful to hear. We're going to wrap up here because we we I need you need to get back to um, those patients so to speak. But I'm going to ask you one last question. As you look forward. There are all sorts of new technologies there are the watches there's everything digital of the wearables the patches you name it anything out there that gets you excited about this next wave of technology if there is a next wave i'm sure it's constant but anything that you're excited about in your practice in ep that that you might go home and go oh my gosh guess what's coming Mm -hmm. guess guess what the next generation is going to enjoy in terms of um these these different innovations that will impact patients
0: I think so. There are a few things that really get us excited. Definitely miniaturization, leadless pacing, for instance, the promise of leadless biventricular pacing, maybe even the promise of leadless defibrillation therapy, Um, wearables, you know, the idea that with impregnated t-shirts for instance patients can be under such effective monitoring that early heart failure detection arrhythmia detection etc can be achieved with non-invasiveness and even cool looking inks that can be used to to make the clothing stylish as well as medically functional that whole uh, line of technology is very fascinating and then um, another area that I find really exciting that we look forward to to being able to offer our patients in the years to come is the progressive move to non-invasive therapy. So catheter ablation being supplanted by non-invasive ablation, external energy-based ablation, and more fundamentally than that, finding a better way to address arrhythmia than ablation itself, you know, just burning heart tissue, particularly when trying to better control atrial fibrillation may not be where the future should be headed, but there may be a more effective primordial step that we can take to eliminate, for instance, or, or delay enough the progression or the onset of atrial fibrillation that a typical human being never experiences it in life. That would be very, very exciting. So and of course, on the merge side, the informatics piece, the ability to do more, more powerful computational ability, ease of use, greater applicability, all will help us achieve this mission of, develop, of offering the very best possible care to the largest number of people possible. And most importantly, to give care to people who otherwise wouldn't get it because none of this stuff was available before or, or could be brought to their local geographies.
1: Yeah. Oh, very, very cool. We hope we're able to impact some of those and and, and facilitate them. Certainly the wearables and the, the miniaturization, informatics, those are, those are right in the in the sweet spot of the things that we're investing in. And I go home and I tell everybody I'm excited. I, I go, oh, there's so many cool technologies and I, hopefully I'll never need them. But if I do, I'm excited about the future. There, there are neat things coming that, that are going to make this, as you said, more accessible to more people, perhaps with better outcomes than we've ever had before. It's pretty exciting.
0: It is really an exciting time. We're blessed to be in this field together. Thanks so much for today. Oh, Todd, Reed, Ellie, Larry, thank you all so much for having me today. It was really a pleasure to talk with all of you.
1: Well, great to speak with you, and, and we will see you next month down in Austin.
0: Thanks for tuning into The Pulse. For more information about Merge and how to improve your cardiac device management, visit Merge.com.